Let's pray. God, as we gather with all our uncertainty, with our longings, with the busyness of our lives, we ask that you would meet with us. We ask you'd continue to shine your light on our lives so we can see clearly. You give value and meaning and purpose and peace to our life. Continue to lead us and teach us by your Holy Spirit. We ask for Jesus' sake. Amen. Please be seated. And if you'd like to turn with me in the church Bibles to Luke's Gospel, chapter 6, and reading from verse 12. And then we'll read Revelation chapter 2, the first seven verses. Luke chapter 6. One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he also designated apostles, Simon, who he named Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. He went down with them and stood in a level place. A large crowd of his disciples were there, and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem and from the coastal region around Tyre and Sidon, who had come to hear him and be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by evil spirits were cured, and the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. And if we turn to the book of Revelation, last book of the Bible, page 1167 in the New Testament. A few weeks ago we were looking at the church in Ephesus. Here are some words written later to that same church. Revelation chapter 2, reading the first seven verses. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardship for my name and have not grown weary. And yet, I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you've fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practice of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To those who are victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. This is the word of the Lord. I wonder if any of you this week managed to catch something of Clara or Catherine's story. It was on after the news. um, Fascinating program. 
Catherine's a 25-year-old woman who spent the last few years traveling, partying, and studying for a degree in modern languages at King's College in London. She's done a bit of work as a model, but she says she finds that unfulfilling experience. And she is now looking seriously at applying to enter the St. Dominic's Priory in the New Forest. The Dominican Sisters of St. Joseph spend much of their daily life in prayer, but also leave the convent to spread the word of God. St. Dominic's only admit new sisters once a year, and they have to be sure that any new will fit in their community. Interestingly, although a small number, this number of young women choosing to do this is in, on, in the increase. Catherine says that she enjoys being part of their company, but to, to choose to be part of a community like that involves a massive commitment, and she's still in the process of working that through. It was Benedict, who's not in this picture, who probably brought the idea of living a monastic, a ruled, patterned life into popular understanding. There had been monasteries and Christian communities built on such principles before, but with Benedict, it it began to take off, partly because he had a rule, and Benedict's rule is something that Christian communities throughout the Middle Ages picked up and used, and it remains one of the most important books in Christian literature even today to see the fundamentals of Christian community, how to live together. Interestingly, when you ask Benedict, when you find out what Benedict, why he chose to live the way that he did, he wanted to leave the city of Rome that he was in. He'd had enough of that city and its excesses and its gossip, and he wanted to go somewhere else and to start living in a new way. And so he, he took with him um, his, his servant, his old nurse, and they settled in Enfide, near a church of St. Peter, with a company of virtuous men who were in sympathy with his feelings and his views of life. Over the last six weeks, we've been looking at early Christian communities across the Middle East and Southeast Europe, from Jerusalem to Rome. And we've noted to be a member of this movement was a liberating, life-changing experience. It was a radical group made up of a variety of people, Jew and Gentile, male and female, slave and free, together in Christ. A movement led by the Spirit, but one where there was also persecution from the establishment. As we come to the end of the series today, we don't have a rule. Camborne Church doesn't yet have a rule of life. But what we do have are values that we think are really important. And added to that are those three dimensions that we are talking about to pick up the worldview and understanding of up, in, and out to our discipleship and to our community life. And so as we do that, I would like us to look and see up, in, and out as important dimensions that need to be expressed in our lives as Christians, also in our life together, and in all the groups in which we live in our community. I want to base this on the reading that we've had in the Gospel, because this idea of up, in, and out, I believe we can see in Jesus' relationship, in the way that Jesus lived. 
you look at your Gospel of Luke that we've read, you will see that it all begins with up. Jesus, before he does any healing, before he does any choosing of disciples, before he does anything, he spends a night in prayer. It all begins with up. For us as Christians, prayer is as fundamental as breathing. That's what we hold as Christians. Mike Breen says, when he is with the Father, Jesus inhales his Father's presence so that he can exhale the Father's will. I like that. He can inhale the Father's presence so that he can exhale and do the things of his Father. That's what Jesus came to do, to do the work of his Father. But he gets the direction and the energy for that from time spent alone with his Father. The importance of relationship with God, primary relationship in prayer, the source of direction and life for his mission and his journey. We become like those we spend time with. It's inevitable for us as human beings. Again, as Christians, Jesus takes time to be with the Father. For us as Christians, what does that mean for us? Spending time in prayer. Because out of that comes fruitfulness. Out of that comes love. It begins with the up. Jesus says to his disciples, thinking about his relationship with the Father in John 15, there's fabulous depth of understanding there. He says, you too will be fruitful like I am. If you abide in me and my love, you will know fruitfulness. Our church, we want to continue growing in numbers, but also in spiritual depth. And if that isn't happening, we need to have the courage to ask each other and ask difficult questions of ourselves because we believe God's Spirit works in that way to grow our lives, grow the fruit of our lives. But it all starts with the up. If you look at your passage, we start in verse 12, Jesus goes off the mountainside to pray. Then, verse 13, Jesus invites people in. Then he chooses the disciples. Interesting, this retelling of it. He chooses the disciples. There were 72 others we read of in Luke who did the maker's business in the, in the world, but he chooses these 12. And he spends time with three of them in a more intimate fashion, sharing life together, problems, issues. They met, he met their families. He laughed with them. He cried with them. Spending time together with that small group, fundamental for the in relationship to be meaningful, the inward dimension of his relational life. Then verse 17 to 19, after this, we've got the up, the in, and then the out. Then we see Jesus healing. We see things happening. Jesus never loses sight of the bigger picture. He speaks to the disciples for the sake of the world. And so Christ reaches out to the least the lost and the last, and we see the compassion of a great God. We notice Christ noticing people. That's one of the striking things, that compassion that comes from time with the Father. Jesus noticing Zacchaeus in the tree. Jesus noticing the widow who put in what she had. Many of us in the busyness of our lives would have missed that. And yet I think such noticing 
comes from noticing the, the love of God the Father. Again, comes from that time in prayer. We can't underemphasize the importance of the up. We don't start if we don't start with up. So we start with up, Jesus invites others in, and Jesus reaches out. We need in our lives as Christians all of those three dimensions to be happening. And we need to be brave enough to challenge one another when they're not all happening or ask how we're doing to be spiritually healthy people. Now, I think these can be slotted in with our core values. Last week in setting the scene, we asked what they were. Um, I'm putting them next to these big words because I think that as we look at our core values, we can see that some of them relate to up, some of them relate to in, and some of them relate to, to out. We need all three. We can't be so heavenly minded. We have no earthly use. We can't be wrapped up with ourselves that we have no place for other people or so activists that we forget to pray. So as we look it up, we see that we want to be a church where the gospel is where it starts. We recognize what we've been given as a gift from God, our faith, and everything begins with the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. We too believe in prayer, as we have said. Then when it comes to in, in our values, we talk about being open. We thought it was really important when we were looking at what our core values were. With a new community of people coming in, we cannot say that we've got all the answers. We want to remain open to people, open to questions. Questions are good. Open to God's Spirit. Openness is a spiritual orientation of our hearts and minds. Open to one another. And not just being nice with one another, but being open to one another. Loving one another. Surely that's what it needs to be about, rather than putting any boundaries around our love. And having a love for others that spills beyond our gathering together. Something of that is expressed for me whenever I drive to St. Neots. About Croxton, you get a sign that says, Village Only Church. Now, I'm misreading the sign, but every time I see that, I think, God, please don't let us become a village only church. One where we've got bounded around who we are and we don't allow ourselves to be changed. Or we say, we hold on to this word community because we've got it taped. Or we say, we do God's love. God's love is, can't be anywhere but the church. Are we in danger of being a village-only church? Now, obviously, the sign means village-only for down there, and there's a church. But as you pass that sign, just invite God's love to expand our minds beyond the church for the sake of the world. Again, the out. Jesus' focus was always on the whole world, although he taught his disciples, and he spent time in prayer. engaged. We love the world because God so loved the world in practical ways of service. Service in our community, through our cafe, through our lifestyle. In so many ways we believe practically God's grace and gospel makes a practical difference as we work out what faith means to us. As we come to an end in this series, I want to share with you the story of Danny Wallace. Some of you might know this story, um, but it's an amazing story to do with community. It all started when Danny Wallace went to his granddad's funeral in Switzerland. And the family had this running joke about how his granddad tried to set up a, um, a community farm. Um, three people turned up. 
It didn't work. It failed. He had this vision of starting. He'd had enough of city life. And he went out to his grandfather and tried to set up this community farm. Only he'd hoped for 100 people. Three people came. So a bit of a, the family laughed about it. But Danny Wallace said, hey, I like the idea, though, of inviting people in to join me. I wonder if that would work today. And he went back to London and he put a wee advert in a small London newspaper that said, join me. That was the, that was the heading, join me. Please send a passport size photograph to dot, 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 dot. Three days later, he had his first joinee, Christian Jones. And then one or two more began to join. He then thought, hey, I'll put it on the website. Join me. He had soon had 101 joinees. No purpose yet, no task, it wasn't clear. But people were looking for something to belong to, to be part of. Nowadays, I wonder if some of you might be part of the movement. It's also called the Karma Army. On Fridays, they give away things free. Friday's the day for the Join Me group now. And Danny Wallace had to decide, well, what is our purpose? And he decided, let's on Fridays do an act of kindness, a random act of kindness. Give somebody a cup of coffee. Say to someone, have my place in the queue. Maybe you've already benefited from that. There are people around the world joining this movement every week. Go on the, the website and have a look. It's called Join Me. Fascinating. We live in an age where people are starving for community. People are crying out to belong somewhere with others and work out what life means. Why don't you ask somebody at your work to come to church with you? Join your small group. Be part of, be part of things. Come and join us. Join in. That's what God says to us. Come and join me and do the things that I'm doing. That's God's invitation to us as we invite other people, as we listen to the needs of our world and we think of the grace and the love of God. People are starving for community. And so as we finish this series, we look as a church to continue growing. So we ask God grows us in his grace. And more specifically, that God will touch our minds that our imaginations can work out how best together we can live. And as you know, we're encouraging that to happen in new, diverse ways. Different groups to be set up so that God's love can be encountered in new ways. God, give us the grace and the imagination to see what it is you're calling us to be part of. God, help train my will. Don't know about you, but I can get fairly stubborn or set in my ways about things. God, incline my heart to love you again. Help me rediscover my first love, and that, that joy of knowing that I am loved by you and that you love me. That was the problem with the church in Ephesians. They'd, they got so caught up in what they believed and what they didn't believe, they'd lost sight of God's love. God, help train our wills so that our community, we mean no discipline and commitment to living out our faith and values. And finally, that God, by his Spirit, pours his love into our hearts and that we overflow with such love for the sake of the world.